Good morning and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage is a program where we explore in depth the American experience from its beginning to the present. And today we want to welcome back as a very special guest, Bart Van Valkenburg. Bart, welcome back to the program. Thank you for coming. Thanks, Arch. Uh, in our previous program, Bart was talking about roads in our area and how they first started out as uh, just trails for Native Americans, and then they Welsh tracks, and then they have became trails and then tracks, and ultimately we got the road system that we know today, and he was talking about the different roads in our area. And uh, Bart, if you want to pick that up and continue talking about that, and I have a question. You were talking about covered bridges, and Share with yeah. the listeners again the background on cover bridges and how many we still have in our area. It was interesting because, uh, as I mentioned, I'm on the board of the Bartram Covered Bridge, which is between uh, Newtown Township and Williston Township, and it shares two counties. And the earlier show, I mentioned that when you're on the Newtown side, you're in the last surviving covered bridge in Delaware County. But if you cross over to the Willistown Township side, you're one of 14, maybe 15 covered bridges in Chester County. And the covered bridges were built in the 1850s, 1860s to protect the bridge surface so you could cross it in inclement weather. Um, you think today, when you're driving along in the winter, there's a big sign in front of all the bridges. Can you think of what the sign says, Arch? Uh, the height requirement. <laughs> Um, the wintertime, bridge, uh, bridge surface freezes. Oh, yeah. Road. yeah. Yes, bridge surface yeah. freezes before the road yeah. surface. Yeah. So that's one of the purposes of the covered bridges. And they made life easier for the transportation of goods. And then I mentioned about the Lancaster Turnpike being built on the first toll roads. And that was designed to haul goods and cattle and things on the big giant wagons from the west the Lancaster area, even further west of Pittsburgh, all the way to the big markets in Philadelphia, where the population was heavier. And they built the uh, Lancaster Turnpike in the 1790s. And a private company was formed because the state of Pennsylvania couldn't afford to build it. So because it was private, it became a toll room. So every so often you'd have to stop and pay a toll based on what you're carrying, much like the turnpikes today where they, you pay by axle and, and things like that. But because of the goods and services being needed, we'll talk about another road, the railroads. They started being built. And one of the very first railroads in Pennsylvania was the railroad from Westchester to Melbourne. And it, I guess it's about 8, 10, 12 miles long. And that was built in the early 1830s. Wow. And it, it was designed to haul stuff from Westchester up to Malvern for distribution and vice versa. And at the same time, Pennsylvania realized they were competing against the Erie Canal, which was taking goods and services from New York up the Hudson River to Albany and then west from Albany all the way across to Erie, hence the name Erie Canal. And that was a major thoroughfare for goods. So Pennsylvania was up against that. So they decided to do the same thing here, and they built the Pennsylvania Canal Commission. And the idea was a series of railroads and canals to have goods and services go east and west and 
somewhat north and south in Pennsylvania to compete against the Erie Canal. And the very first part of it was the Philadelphia and Columbia Railroad. And that went from Philadelphia west to Columbia, which is on the Susquehanna River. And earlier I mentioned that we were talking about the Paley Inn and the owner of the Evanses. Well, the Evanses was influential enough where he convinced the railroad to go right behind his tavern. And it went up west of Paoli and through Malvern, where it came into contact with the Westchester Railroad. So that worked out really great. And eventually, the early railroad coaches were much like stagecoaches. They were pulled by horses. Mm-hmm. But three, four years after the railroad was built, they started bringing steam engines in. But now you're picturing a steam engine like the old TV movies with the cab and the yes. stack yep. and all this where the early steam engines was basically the boiler or smokestack and then a platform on the back for the engineer and fireman. So they were out in the open. And this railroad really started hauling a lot of traffic and people. And it grew and grew and grew. And then the turnpike started losing traffic because people would go on the railroad because it was cheaper and more efficient, where it would take four or five, six days to go from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh and a railroad Mm -hmm. would do it in a day and a half. So this is the early 1830s into the 1850s and 1860s. And and then the canal system never really was built in the state. But the idea was to haul these cars and stuff up over the ridgelines in, in the Allegheny Mountains. And, you know, think of when you go out the turnpike and you go through all those tunnels. Well, that's where you'd have to take the uh, canal and the lift and the inclines to get over the top huh. of these hills. So it wasn't really efficient. But then the Pennsylvania Railroad comes to fruition in the early 1850s, and they bought the Philadelphia and Columbia Railroad and then expanded western to Altoona and all those other areas. And the Pennsylvania Railroad was amazing. The NHS was a phenomenal company. And then at the same time, we had the Reading Railroad coming out of Reading down to Philadelphia and Baltimore and Ohio and the Erie Lackawanna and the Delaware and Hudson. And all, all these railroad lines built over the years, and they started hauling all the goods. So the roads weren't really developed as well as they could have been. And then around 1900, the automobile came on the scene. And then by 1915, 1920, with the Henry Ford and the Model T and the other 100 manufacturers, America was able to get into the automobile business and buy cars. So um, that made the development of the highways that we use even faster. Now, the funny thing is, when you look at the Pennsylvania Railroad, in 1876, they bought the Lancaster Turnpike. And not because it was in competition with them with goods, but they were afraid that the Lancaster Turnpike was going to put streetcars on it. Oh, huh. So they didn't want the competition of streetcars for their passenger trains. So, you know, it's, it's again, the big company buys up the little companies mm-hmm. to prevent it from competing against them. And streetcars in the late 1890s became a big deal. Now, there were streetcars everywhere. You could take a streetcar from Philadelphia and get to 69th Street and out Westchester Pike all the way down to Westchester. And then from Westchester, you could take a streetcar down to Kennett Square or another streetcar trolley up to Downingtown and mm-hmm. Coatesville. There was other ones that ran up through Norristown and used to go up to Willow Grove Park. So there was tons of streetcars. And that's the 1890s into the 1930s. 
And Bart, I'm old enough to remember when my parents first moved to Newtown Square that there was trolley tracks going up where today is the Meridian or the, the in, in the yeah. middle of Westchester Pike. And that were streetcars. I have a question. Yeah. When these railroads were being built, Bart, was there major blowback to the railroad companies coming through this area and building railroads through this area? Or were they overwhelmingly accepted as progress? Well, it was progress in a lot of ways, and many areas where the railroads went through farmland, so it wasn't a big deal. Okay. Uh, take, for example, the Pennsylvania Railroad bought the land on both sides of the railroad from Philadelphia to Paoli, and then developed the land in the towns, and then sold the properties to people, and built hotels for the, the wealthy to come out and spend the summers in the, uh, quote, suburb mm-hmm. in the country. But then there there was other developments. The automobile started competing against the railroads for moving families. And one of the really interesting things there to compete against the railroads was in 1913, the Lincoln Highway was founded. And the Lincoln Highway went from Times Square down through Philadelphia and then all the way out to San Francisco. And it was the first marked highway across the country. Oh, wow. And in many areas, it paralleled the railroads, but it was for car traffic. Now, the cool thing about the Lincoln Highway, the guy that came up with the idea and organized it was a guy named Carl Fisher, and he owned the Presto Light Company. (laughs) And the Presto Light Company made acetylene headlights for automobiles. So Fisher built the highway so that the people with his headlights on cars could drive. Wow. And it was so successful, he sold the Presto Light Company to Union Carbide. But he also, one of the other deals he started, he, he was one of the builders of the Indianapolis Speedway. Hmm. So all these business guys worked together, and it was the vision of a businessman to make money that helped make our lives easier. Mm-hmm. And then you had um, the Rockefellers that created the oil that provided the gasoline, and you had the Andrew Carnegie's and the steel guys that built the railroad tracks, and you had the coal barons that mined the coal to power the trains. And then it's just amazing and, and, how things connected. And, and bring us forward, Bart, to where we know today is the interstate highway system in America. How did we get from Native American trails to where we all now enjoy the interstate highway system in America? That's a really good point. I was going to bring that up. And it was inspired by World War II, where during the war, people and goods and everything traveled by rail. All the soldiers traveled by rail. All the armament that was manufactured traveled by rail, other than the airplanes, which would, you know, fly from the factories in in Detroit and other areas. So the rails were the backbone of the arsenal of defense. And at the same time, in uh, Germany, in the 30s, Hitler was building the autobahns. And when Eisenhower was the commander of the European things and Germany was defeated, he saw the value of these highways and call them highways rather than roads to connect the various cities and districts. So when Ike came back, one of the things he pushed for, and having been elected president, was the vision to build an interstate highway system in the United States to connect all the cities in the fastest, quickest way possible and toll-free for the most part. And it's, it was a vision, and it took ages to build and cost a fortune. And I don't know whether you know this little tidbit. If you have an interstate number and it's an odd number, like five, 
7, mm-hmm. 11, or 95, that designates it runs north and south. Mm-hmm. If it's an even number, like 80, it heads east and west. Mm-hmm. So if you wake up one night and you see a sign and you don't know where you are, if it's an even number, you're on an east-west road. <laughs> and if it's an odd number, you're on a north-south road. <laughs> no, but I mean, but, I have heard this, so I'm going to ask you this question. I have heard that, that every seven miles of interstate, there needs to be a mile of straight line interstate in case a plane ever has to land. Have, have you heard that or is that myth? I don't know. I've never heard it, but it, it happens frequently. Yes, it does. land on the highways. Recently, there was a guy that crash landed and landed his plane on a golf course in Wayne. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so there wasn't a road straight enough for him because all the roads around Wayne are Indian trails. <laughs> yeah. So we now another question is the the railroad that goes by Washington's Chapel and Valley Forge. What railroad was that originally? That was the Redding. The Redding. Yeah, and that was a, a route where um, if Redding, if I remember right, had almost the longest mileage of track in the country. Hmm. But it was only like an eastern regional Pennsylvania railroad for the most part. And the, the reason it had all these tracks was all these spurs to go to coal mines everywhere. Mm-hmm. So splay your hand out and see all the fingers. You know, you have your hand, and each one of those would be a railroad track that would eventually get down to a distribution point. Mm-hmm. And so the Redding came down along the Schuylkill River and into Philadelphia, and it, it hauled tons and tons of uh, ore and freight. They built the train station in Phoenixville, and the railroad bed there, when you're at Washington's headquarters. Yes, yep. And right beside it is the uh, old Phoenixville rail passenger station. And now the roadbed is the Norfolk Southern. But when Washington was sitting in his headquarters, that railroad embankment wasn't there. And he could sit in the headquarters and look right at the river because uh, that house is only 10 or 12 feet above the Schuylkill River level. Right. All right. So that's one of those layers of history you have to take away. Mm-hmm. Now, now, the rail service from Reading to Philadelphia was canceled you know, like 40 years ago from lack of traffic. And now there's a big push to restore the rail service. And I believe that SEPTA just started running a bus from Reading to possibly Philadelphia to initiate the travel because the plans are getting pretty strong to do the railroad where they're going to run a couple of trains each way a day so that a commuter from Reading can go right to Philadelphia down the old Reading Railroad line. Right. I think, I think they'll have stops at like Reading. Norristown, Valley Forge, Phoenixville, uh, but they have to work with Norfolk Southern and owns the rails now, so mm-hmm. that's a big problem. But transportation's good. Then you have you have the trolleys. Think of the P and W, the poor and weary, the piss and whistle. It's a <laughs> trolley that runs out of 69th Street and it goes to Norristown. Right, right. And that's, those are all the nicknames. And it used to split at Villanova University and run out to Stratford, PA, and connect with the Pennsylvania Railroad. And that was discontinued in the 50s. But the P&W now is SEPTA's Route 100. And they're talking about putting a spur from there out to the King of Prussia Mall and the complex, the business complexes, 
And that's billions of dollars in the planning. But yep. it's to make tra- transportation easier for the people right. and more more efficient. So we're going back to the old days when there used to be lots of trolleys and they took them away. Yeah. But another question I have is when you were talking about originally they were Native American trails and then tracks and then we got these wagon roads made out of this. When the railroad was being built, were they, as they were laying track, were they taking direct routes or did they have a tremendous amount of problems having to buy the land to put the rail tracks down? And how was that decided by the railroad companies of where to run these lines? Oh, that's, that's great. The, I mentioned the earliest line, the uh, Philadelphia and Columbia, and they had the um, Columbia engineers, the Philadelphia and Columbia Railroad engineers, staking out the rail line. And in the Paoli area, the original plan was to have it run down in the Great Valley, basically where Route 202 is. And then when it got closer to Stratford, it would come up the ridge line and into Wayne. And David Evans, the owner of the Paley Tavern, was upset by that because it would bypass his tavern. So he went and got the engineers to come up to his tavern, and he wined and dined them and convinced them to build (laughs) the railroad behind his tavern. And so he lucked out, and he wound up with a business that supplied water and lumber, wood for the railroad, Hmm. as well as as a train stop to feed people where it would leave Philadelphia in the morning and then have lunch at Paoli. And then when the Pennsylvania Railroad bought the Philadelphia and Columbia, the original railroad would take the path of least resistance and it would go around hills that were too high to go over. And we were fortunate in my group, Tredifferent Easttown Historic Society. Two of our members are railroad enthusiasts and they were able to acquire the 1883 engineering drawings from the Pennsylvania Railroad showing the routes that were straightening out the road. So we know that the railroad originally came into Paoli and then down on the Lancaster Avenue and ran east on Lancaster Avenue for a ways and went around the hill and then back up towards Hmm. the roadbed where it is today. And then when the PRR came through, they wanted to straighten the road so the trains could go faster. And it's like that throughout the whole route. And we have these old maps and engineering drawings that show us exactly where the old roads were and where the new ones were. And that, that just uh, makes, it, makes it interesting where things can get done. We, we were talking about the Pennsylvania Turnpike earlier, and I mentioned the tunnels. Well, the tunnels where the uh, turnpike goes are old railroad tunnels. Oh. So wow. um, when the, when they decided to build the highway, they just took over the railroad bed and then um, and enlarged the tunnels. So many of those were there prior to the construction of the turnpike in the 30s. And then uh, over the years, traffic got bigger, so they added separate tunnel tubes. So many of them have, you know, two, two tubes, two going east, two going west. And Bart, as a kid growing up in Newtown Square, I can remember that I believe this railroad or it started somewhere down in Havertown. It went yeah. through Bryn Mawr. It went, uh, it went over some overpasses and it eventually got all the crossed over 252 to the Powell Lumberyard. And yeah. 
Do you, did, did that railroad go farther out into Westchester or was that, was that the, the destination either way? No, the original plan was to continue going west through Willistown Township, Goshenville, East Goshen, and then down into Westchester. But at the same time they were building that railroad, they were building the Westchester trolley. Oh, okay. So the, the trolley took people. And so the railroad that they built from basically Havertown to Newtown Square was used for hauling milk and goods and stuff like that and very few passengers. Yes, yes. And you mentioned that the route, and there's still a lot of concrete buttresses and stuff on Route 320. Mm -hmm. um, and if you go onto Google Maps and look in an aerial view, there's a lot of properties and things that have funny backyards. And, and they're not straight where most of our property today you see with, you know, rectangular lots. Well, if you know the route of the railroad, that's where the railroad was. And the railroad closed in the 60s. So the properties were built up behind it. And if you look at the aerial maps, you can see where the railroad was just by the cattle hmm. tail it left and tree lines and stuff. You know, because somebody will have trees at the back of their yard. And then, or you can see a, a house here and a house there, and it shows you where the railroad was. And it wasn't straight either. It mm -hmm. didn't follow the path of least resistance. Yeah. Down, down in that area, there's lots of hills and valleys. Yeah. I remember that railroad. It, it moved very slowly because we knew it was a lot of um, products being moved out, particularly to Powell's Lumberyard. It's yeah. just fascinating, Bart, that we have started in our area of the country where we live with Native American trails and then become the Welsh tracks, and then they become Conestoga wagons uh, trails or, or roads, and then they become minor roads, and then we get to the interstates, and we get to the railroad system and all over our area. And this, this tremendous history that we have in our area that most of us don't ever, ever think about as we progress and, you know, we travel along these road systems we have today. So. Yeah, and people care. People really care. I use an example, Newtown Square. They set up a small railroad museum. Mm -hmm. They took the freight station and they put it on off of Westchester Pike. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a railroad engine, a boxcar, and one of the Westchester Pike trolleys. And Bart, unfortunately, we know some shady people that have been born and raised in Newtown Square and some shady people that still live there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're being mean. Well, it's my family, so I can call them shady. <laughs> so, well, Bart, we want to thank you for sharing, you know, th this information these past two shows. This is interesting things about the past of the area in which we live, and I personally want to thank you for your dedication to helping all of us understand parts of our history in our local area rather than just, you know, the national history that we have and how important it is. And the work that you do with Paoli and Tradifer in Easttown and the Bartram Bridge and the other things that you have yourself involved in, thank you personally from my point of view of helping to educate us and sharing these two shows with us, the importance of our transportation system that we ultimately we enjoy today and where it started and how it has continued to progress. Well, I appreciate it. I really like doing these freestyle discussions. It's like you and I sitting in a coffee shop over a sandwich. Well, 
if if you'd be willing, I'd love to have you come back in, in future shows and continue to share so much as information, particularly about this map that you have just discovered. I'm very, very curious about that map. So again, yeah. Bart, thank you for everything you do. Also, I personally want to thank you for serving our country and what you've done. You are truly a patriot, a great American, and we are blessed to have you. So thank you very much. Thanks, Arch. It's been our pleasure. So thank you again, Bart. This is 1180 AM WFYL, working for your liberty. 